Hello church, Pastor Greg here. If this is your first time with us, I am Greg Caruso, one of the pastors at Community Covenant Church, and welcome to our online gathering. And we are going to be celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper at the end of the message, so gather your elements and we'll just move right into that from the message. Part of my time today will be taken up with a pastoral update. In talking with our staff, uh, we agreed that this would be a good time to provide some perspective on what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing. And hopefully you tuned in to, in time to hear Pastor Chris's announcement about us launching a permanent online campus. And I would like to add some thoughts and perspective regarding that. As our staff, as our elders have been prayerfully seeking to manage our response to the pandemic, and I think I've mentioned in the early days, the first couple of months, we were reacting to the pandemic. And I think more lately in the last month, six weeks, we've been more responding to the pandemic. We have been greatly impacted by two what I'll call summary statements. There's been a lot of reading and thinking and praying and considering, but let me give you two statements that kind of typify where we think we're at right now. The first one is this. Every organization is now a startup organization. That's a perspective every organization probably on the planet has to consider and capitalize on. That idea, what does it mean for us? We, we have in one sense an opportunity to replant Community Covenant Church in some new ways and some new opportunities, which I'll, I'll tell you about. Here's another quote from a pastor that some of us listen to, uh, a Canadian pastor named Kerry Newhoff. And this is what he said. We'll put it up on screen. Churches will now need to think of themselves as digital organizations with physical locations rather than a physical organization with a digital location. In other words, every church now needs to have uh, an online uh, response to what's going on. Not everybody will come back to church at the same time and in the same way. So what does it mean for us to establish a permanent online campus? And what does it not mean? First and probably foremost, a permanent online campus means that we are opening the door to a greater to greater outreach opportunities. We can now increase our capacity to invite unchurched friends and family to join us for services online. Uh, the new online platform will help us kind of up our game in that regard. It's a little bit like, uh, it's a little bit like letting people come and peek in the window as we have church and see what they think. People that might not ever, you know, attend, drive up our driveway and walk in the door are able to go online and see us engage in a service. We'll have online private chat rooms on our online campus to provide personal prayer and interaction right there on the spot. People won't have to send us an email asking for prayer and wait for us to get back to them or respond to the prayer request. And uh, it also goes without saying that we'll need some volunteers to fully develop 
the potential. We'll need greeters uh, uh, again. We'll need hosts. We'll need prayer team members. So be thinking and praying about those opportunities. Uh, we can provide, we'll be able to provide Bible translations and sermon notes right there on the platform for people to help people engage and follow along with the sermon. We'll have opportunity to have a digital bulletin right there on the platform to communicate better. Once we start regathering, the online campus will also work well for snow days in the winter. And then finally, a few reasons that I've shared, uh, people with significant underlying health conditions who have no intention of regathering until COVID is gone will also be able to continue to join us weekly. So what does a permanent online campus not mean? What is our plan? You might be asking. It does not mean that we as a staff and elders are not anxious to regather as soon as it makes sense to do so. We are all anxious and looking forward to regathering as soon as possible. A while back, we put together a regathering task force to advise us. We also surveyed you to get your input. The majority of you at that time were, were not seemingly ready to come back uh, for uh, a, an at-church gathering. We are hearing whisperings that that perspective is changing. I can say that we remain committed to being good citizens, and we intend to abide by the guidelines of Massachusetts. And we also want to and will pay attention to the guidelines of Rhode Island as well. Uh, we did take notice that about 70 enthusiastic people showed up for our outside worship and prayer worship and prayer gathering recently, and about 20 households were online. And we are intending, if uh, you heard the announcement, to have another one on September 13th. This is one of the main reasons we set up the tent to begin to provide regathering opportunities for our church. Frank and Katie met with our students the other night. About 30 of them showed up, even on a bit of a rainy, misty night. That's a very positive sign. So what is our plan moving forward? Frank is in charge of paying close attention to and communicating with us as a staff, elders, etc., the guidelines for churches and any travel restrictions for both Massachusetts and Rhode Island. We've, as you know, it changes and we want to keep, every week we want to keep aware of what's going on. Barbara leads our regathering task force and in our last staff meeting, we determined together that it's probably time to do another survey to, um, to get, to invite your feedback. So that will be happening very soon. Additionally, we have been making some facility upgrades in anticipation of regathering. We have installed, well, Marcel oversees this, he's awesome. Uh, touchless faucets have been installed in all the bathrooms. Sanitizer stations are at each entrance and throughout the, the building. We have purchased touchless temperature reading guns. I don't like to think of them as guns, but nevertheless, touchless temperature reading guns to use as needed. And we are in the midst of purchasing a sanitizer fogger or two 
to be able to sanitize the worship center if we have more than one service. So we need to sanitize the classrooms after children meet there. We also want to be able to sanitize the outside playground, playground uh, when we begin to regather. And the, the fogger will help do that more quickly than a bunch of hands and paper towels and sanitizer. We also plan to continue to employ our three sticker communication tool that uh, if you showed up at the last worship and prayer gathering we employed, uh, you'll be able to safely and effectively communicate your preference for social distancing. If you weren't there, we have three colors of stickers. You can pull one out, like the green is like, I'm ready for a hug. And the yellow is like, well, I'm ready for an elbow bump and maybe a, a, a conversation. And then a red will be, hey, keep your distance. Six feet is good for me, you know. So everyone will be able to, as we regather, be able to communicate their focus, their intention, so that everybody coming will feel safe in that way. We are, we are committed to moving forward in a way that keeps us safe in the building. And finally, I can tell you that the elders and the staff have been talking about when and how to launch a search for a permanent pastor. And you can expect an announcement about that from one of our elders in the next week or two. I can tell you that we have been active and we have been communicating. So as we move into the sermon part, obviously my sermon will be a little bit shorter now and I've, that I've taken the time to provide you with an update. As most of you know, we send out an all-church e-news, usually on Thursday, most often on Thursday, to provide you with a heads-up about the sermon. We also make some other announcements just to be able to communicate well and often. If you don't receive that, you can send an, an email to info at communitycovenant.church, and you can sign up. You can also go to the website and sign up to receive that if you do not get it. And so, in my sermon blurb that came out last Thursday, I indicated that I wanted to take some time to recap some of the important context concerning our 23-week study in the Sermon on the Mount. And I also want to connect it to the 26 weeks, I think, since the pandemic began. So with that in mind, in the in the e-news, I suggested that to prepare for today's sermon, you could read Matthew chapter 4 to help you better begin to see the context for what is known to be the most important sermon ever written. Sermon on the Mount, the most important sermon ever written. Uh, so to begin the recap, as well as to connect some of the dots, to all that's been going on in our country and around the world, let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what it says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I have to admit to you, I, I never saw that word up before. I never noticed it, that word up. Jesus was led up by the Spirit. The literal translation for that phrase is to bring up and uh, if you ask me, I have no idea what that means, to bring up. It was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Um, that's an interesting passage, right? I mean, we read that, we see that, many of us have read it hundreds of times, perhaps, but what does it mean? Here's what we do know here. 
The Holy Spirit didn't tempt Jesus, but the Holy Spirit led Jesus up into the desert wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil, correct? So to connect the implications of this passage with our current context, we could say that the Holy Spirit did not cause the pandemic, but the Holy Spirit has led us into what most of us would call a desert experience, a wilderness experience. It's been difficult. It's been dry. It's been tough. I hope you can catch the parallel there. I have some questions for you to ponder with your household and or your community group. And if you're not in a community group, we really recommend that you track one down and we can help you with that if you'd like. The overarching question that I want to ask is, what have you learned about yourself in the last six months? What have you learned about yourself? And I'm talking about the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul talks about our spirit, our soul, and our bodies. He talks about it being preserved, completed at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can think of ourselves as spirit, soul, and body. It's, it's a, we have distinct but overlapping components of, of our humanity. Uh, and, and so spirit, soul, and body. So it, it's, a, it's appropriate to ask, how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing emotionally? How are you doing physically? I can tell you that I have a few um, health apps uh, to track what I eat, my workouts, my cycling. And I came across a graph the other day that said my fitness has increased 700 times since the beginning of the year. I was kind of flabbergasted and I was actually pretty proud of myself to see that kind of increase in my fitness. So physically I've been doing well. And I do think my emotional health has been pretty steady with a few blips on the screen. Uh, but when I take the time to evaluate my spiritual health and growth, I'm not nearly as impressed with myself as I was with the physical part. I have not hungered and thirsted after God in a way that could dynamically grow my relationship with God, at least in the way that Matthew 5, 6 indicates. So I, I guess I give myself an A in the physical and maybe a B, B minus in the emotional, and maybe a C minus in the spiritual part of that. It's just, it's just good to evaluate ourselves in the midst of all this. So that's just me being honest with you about my successes and failures. And I, I'm thinking these are just good questions to ask ourselves and to ask one another. Another way to describe the last six months is that the Holy Spirit seems to have provided us with an opportunity to, suit, to with an opportunity to see who we really are as people, as families, as a church, and as a nation. These kinds of questions are similar to the statements that Jesus makes in the Sermon on the Mount. As we read, as we studied the scribes and the Pharisees, they were, they were content to base their theology and their practices on, on surface 
issues, levels, a facade issue or level. And Jesus, if you remember, was pretty adamant that that was unacceptable. That we must be willing to acknowledge our current reality. That we must be willing to repent as needed, as necessary, and surrender afresh to God. It's, it's, it's actually kind of a, an ongoing surrender of ourselves to God. This is the central message of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus wants to deal with our heart issues. And the upside of the pandemic, if there is one, and I think there is, I would add racial tensions to this. I would add employment, economic upheaval, as well as the the political disharmony. I think those all point to this opportunity for us to get real and get right with God. It's time for us to get real with God. It's time for us to get right with God. That's the upside of this pandemic and all the other stuff that's going on. The writer to the letter, uh, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews. Chapter 12, verse 27, indicates that God will bring a shaking so that those things that cannot be shaken will remain. I think the American church probably has been too comfortable and God has brought about a shaking to show us who we really are. A long time ago, uh, my parents listened uh, to Hootenanny music. I don't know if that makes any sense to any of you. Uh, but a guy named Barry McGuire, some of you will know that name, he wrote a song before he was a believer called Eve of Destruction. Probably everybody watching, listening has heard the song Eve of Destruction. And after he wrote that, it's a pretty depressing but catchy song. I don't know how those work together, catchy and depressing. But after he wrote that, I was a brand new Christian and I saw him in concert. And I, I was just ecstatic to to experience him this big old biker dude in the leather jacket with a guitar he was so happy and so joyful i was brand new to the faith 20 years old and i just love seeing his um his expression his joy and some and some good music and uh, linda was with me linda's doing the powerpoint but you were with me that night too right there was a bunch of us from this college group that were there and so he told this story uh, in his concert that I'll never forget. He said a, a friend of his came up to him after he became a Christian. He said something to Barry McGuire like, all you Christians are brainwashed. And Barry McGuire sat back and he thought about it. Then he said to the guy, he says, you know, yeah, my brain needed a good scrub. It was just a beautiful response to that. And what I want to say to us is that, yeah, I, I think the church needed a good shaking. And we're not done yet, so the church is in need of a good shaking. And so that's the upside of this pandemic and all the other things that are going on at the same time. So the questions I articulated are important questions for us to have ongoing dialogue about remembering that Jesus will always go to the heart of any issue and he wants us to do the same. Don't just deal with the surface stuff in your life. Go to the heart. Go to the heart. With that said, 
There's just one more takeaway from the Sermon on the Mount that I believe is extremely important for us to grasp. Jesus, the second member of the Holy Trinity, condescended to come out of heaven, uh, come out of the love, the comfort, the joy, the perfection of heaven, and enter into our brokenness to live the perfectly obedient life that you and I could never live, and to die a criminal's death on the cross. And in addition to the physical and the emotional torture that he endured, and he endured it even before he was arrested. Remember, he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he also bore the weight. He bore the responsibility of every sin that had ever been committed, as well as every sin that will ever be committed. That's an amazing thought, that, that he would die for every sin that has been or will ever be committed. It's been said that the physical torture that Jesus endured would be like a flea bite compared to the spiritual torture that he endured in bearing the weight of our sin. So what was the Trinitarian plan in sending Jesus to become the most radical person who ever lived? Was it to start the church? The answer to that question is an emphatic and resounding no. He did not come to start the church. He came to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. And it's seen through the eyes of faith. And I like the way that Bono and you two uh, say it in their song, Walk On. The lyric is, you're, you're packing a suitcase for a place none of us has been. A place that has to be believed to be seen. Seen with the eyes of faith. It's essential that we see the Old Testament as repeatedly describing God's dealings with Israel in the, in the context of an ever-increasing prophetic hope that a, uh, that a day will come when God, as king, will personally establish the kingdom of God on the earth. The Old Testament promise and longing is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And as you probably know, that the Jewish people were expecting a geopolitical kingdom, and Jesus came and established an invisible kingdom seen with the eyes of faith, but declared uh, publicly from the start of his ministry. If we go back to Matthew chapter 4, say verse 17b, we see that as Jesus begins his public ministry, he says, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of, uh, of God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. A lot of us grew up in the church thinking that the kingdom of God was heaven, was the future. But the kingdom of God was established when Jesus came. And down in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says this, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, the good news that the kingdom had come, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. 
it's essential for us to begin to understand that the church is not the kingdom. And the kingdom is not the church. So what is the kingdom of God? I want to give you a very short and, and very specific definition of the kingdom of God. Here's the kingdom of God. Speaking the words and doing the works of Jesus. You could even shorten it more. The words and the works of Jesus. Words, works, words, works. That is the kingdom of God. If we are to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, this is our primary calling. Speak the words, do the works. This doesn't mean that we go out and get a big sign that says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, and then you go out to the corner and wave it and yell at people. That's not what it's saying, is it? It means that we read, we re-read and meditate on the words of Jesus so that they begin to naturally flow out of us, usually with grace and loving kindness, but sometimes with gentle rebuke. Linda happens to be very good at gentle rebukes. Uh, and as such, we are able, uh, and as we are able, I should say, we are to minister to and care for the lost, the poor, the sick, and the brokenhearted. That's our, our calling. We are to pray for people's salvation for healing, for deliverance in people, and for the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit that Paul writes about, Romans 14, 17, to describe the kingdom of God to the church of Rome. There is a Jewish tale about a rabbi. I don't know if I've ever told you the story. I, I can't remember. But there's a tale about a Jewish rabbi who always told his students... That, that, that if they studied the Torah, their studies would put scripture on their hearts. And one of the students asked, why on our hearts instead of in our hearts? And here's what the rabbi said. He said, only God can put scripture inside the heart. He said, but reading the sacred text can put it on your heart, but when your heart breaks, the holy words will fall inside. It's a beautiful uh, story, a beautiful perspective. Perhaps part of what's going on in our nation is to break our hearts and allow the words of Jesus to fall afresh inside of our heart. One last verse to make my point and then we'll move to celebrating the Lord's Supper. The book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3. We see that after the resurrection, uh, but before the ascension of Jesus back into heaven, Jesus spent 40 days with the disciples. What did he do? Here's what Acts, here's what Acts chapter 1, verse 3 says he did. He spent 40 days speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Spent 40 days, crash course, kingdom of God. This is really important. He didn't talk about church planting. He didn't talk about starting a church planting movement. He talked about the kingdom of God. Speaking the words, doing the works 
of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. The entire ministry of Jesus was focused on initiating the kingdom of God, not the church. He is, he is recorded using the word kingdom over 100 times in the Gospels. You know how many times he used the word church? Twice. 100 times kingdom, twice the church. This must be our objective as Community Covenant Church. It's not about doing church. It's not about building the church. It is about mobilizing to extend the kingdom of God, using our gifts and our callings to come together, to mobilize, to extend the kingdom of God. And the fruit of extending the kingdom of God is that we'll be church and have church. So with that, I want to shift into um, a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper. I share with you Paul's words in Romans 14, 17 concerning his description for the church at Rome of the kingdom of God. And this is the whole verse. He talks about for the kingdom of God, it's not eating and drinking. It's not the things of this world. It's not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. As we prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper, I want you to notice those, those last four words, in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? This is one of the core teachings of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's a common theme for Paul in almost all of his letters. After we lay this foundation for the kingdom of God as our primary objective, we can begin to consider what it means to be a church and what it means to be part of a church. But I want to emphasize that the foundation that this, the rest of this is built on is, is extending the kingdom of God. And, and next week we'll begin our study in Ephesians that there are, there are two, well, two of the main themes in Ephesians are, one, our union with Christ individually and then together. Let's keep in mind that when Paul says you in his letters, it's a plural. It's most of the time it's a plural you. Uh, so one of the major themes are union with Christ, individually and together. A second major theme is our unity in Christ. There is unity in our diversity. So union with Christ and unity in Christ are two of the major themes that we'll be taking a look at as we study Ephesians. And Chris will get us started next week in that Ephesians study. Today I'd like us to hang our communion hat on Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Now, I, I looked up the word every, you know, every spiritual blessing. I looked up the word every in the Greek. You know what it means? It means every. What if we lived our lives like we believe that? That he already has 
blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And that in Christ is the first time I think he uses the, the phrase in Christ in Ephesians. And again, it's speaking about our union with Christ. What would our life be like if we believed that we've already received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ? If you are in Christ, all that is true of Christ is now true of you. I know I've said that in, in past weeks. If you are in Christ, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, committed, passionate follower of Jesus, all that is true of Jesus is now true of you because you are in Christ. If, what if we ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten the eyes of our hearts? That's Ephesians 1.18. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we could begin, or for many of us, continue to grasp the fuller reality of those words for our own lives and for our church. So as we move towards into communion, 1 Corinthians 11, 23-25, the words of Jesus. The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now he speaks of the new covenant. What's the new covenant? The new covenant here that Paul is speaking of is that the kingdom of God has been established on the earth and it will be consummated. It, it, in other words, it, it will come to full fruition at his second coming. So we live in the presence of the future, the already and the not yet. We already have everything we need, every spiritual blessing, but it hasn't been fulfilled. It hasn't been consummated yet. We live in this divine tension. That's what it's about. This is what we can celebrate in the Lord's Supper. So what I'd like to do is, is pray over both the elements. Lynn is going to join me. Here we have our olive wood cup. I think it's from Israel. And then we have our bread. So... You want to say hi? Okay. What a joy it is to celebrate all that, uh, that God has already accomplished on our behalf, but we haven't, the eyes of our heart have not been enlightened to see what is the hope of his calling. And I want that for us. So I want to pray to that end as we celebrate, as we remember and celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Let's pray together. Ah, kind Father, we confess that we don't get it. We don't see, but we want to. We want to see. We want to understand with greater clarity, with greater depth, what you have already accomplished on our behalf. 
we come to you and we, we thank you for your broken body. We thank you for your shed blood. And we ask that you would open the eyes of our heart that we would see what it is that you have done. And Lord, I pray for our study in Ephesians that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart, that you would show us what it means to be in Christ, that you would reveal to us afresh about the unity that we have in the midst of our diversity. We want to grow in these areas. We want to celebrate you and what you have done. We want to extend and expand the kingdom of God and to see our church flourish as we commit to expanding the kingdom of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll start with bread. Let's all take this together. Take the bread. Thank you, Lord. That's too much. I'll be chewing for a minute. What? Okay. Here we go. then we'll take the cup together too and take that. Thank you, Lord, for your shed blood. I want to thank you for joining us. If it's your first time and you want to have a conversation about Jesus, you'd like us to pray for you, you can at this time still email us, info at communitycovenant.church. And then, um, as Chris mentioned in his announcement, it's go online, register, um, so that when we launch next week, uh, we're just getting used to this, and so it'll take a while and all that good stuff, but we're really excited about that opportunity. So thank you for joining us, and I will say goodbye for now.